morning, good evening, good night yeah. Welcome to the show, what a wonderful delight uh. Yeah, Patsy and T-Rods, better chop up on the mic Just sit back, have a laugh, catch a vibe And enjoy the ride, yeah Today's episode is presented by your favorite vodka, my favorite vodka, everyone's favorite vodka, Game Day. A smoother, better vodka that embodies the spirit of the game. Everybody, go check out Game Day. You know where it's at, gamedayvodka.com, and see if they have your team's colors. Also, don't forget to use promo code TROSS to get 15% off your order. Shout out Game Day Vodka. And now joining us on the show is actually a longtime friend of mine. Before I even knew you, Terrence, I met him in um, sixth grade when I moved to Vancouver. It's my buddy, Austin Warner. He's um, instructor in the jungle school in the army, right? Is that correct? Make sure I don't fuck that up. Yep. Jungle operations training course in the army. Very interesting. Very interesting. How about, um, how about you just start us? How, where it all started for you? Because I know after high school, you did a little bit of fighting and you wanted to get into Bellator, UFC, along those lines. And then where did it jump into going into the military? Uh, so I started training MMA when I was early on in high school. And then that's what I wanted to pursue. I wanted to make it to the UFC or belt. Um, I fought one fight professionally when I was 19. And then I got, I was working a, a job as well, doing uh, scaffolding in the carpenters union. And I got uh, switched to swing shifts one night at work and I wasn't able to train anymore. And I decided, um, that I was going to start working towards set up a law enforcement career. And cause I was too young to, to join the, uh, the police department. So decided, you know, what, I'm going to join the army fighting's not, I don't want to end up being 25 with a broken body and nothing to offer society, but fucked up ears. So, um, I, uh, I went into the recruiter's office and, and I joined and that was, that was, uh, eight years ago or nine years ago, uh, almost. Show us, show us those so cauliflower ears. It's, been a, it's show- been a wild ride. It's been fun. Show us those, show Terrence those years. I, I, I used to give him a lot of shit in high school. Yeah, it's no you joke. Ever get him drained? You ever get him drained? Yeah, I, I drained the left one oh, 21 fuck. times. I drained the right one uh, once. Man. Like, I, is it, like, is it, yeah. does it suck? Like, is it, 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 do you feel that during the day or are you just kind of used to it now? Uh, so they're all rock hard. Like, I, I, I can't bend my ears at all. They're just yeah. stuck here in place. Um, I don't notice it. I mean, if it's, if it's cold out, they get, they feel like sensitive, but uh, they haven't hurt since, since I drained them, uh, you know, 11 years ago. Damn. Yeah. I used to give so, you, I used yeah, to give him a lot of shit. Until people co- comment about it. <laughs> I used to give him a lot of shit and he used yeah, to get pissed at me in class. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so what was that first step going into the military? What, um, yeah. what did, uh, what was that first, like, what was your first thing going into it? Uh, so I, I joined the army with a, an 18 X contract, uh, which is a special forces candidate contract. Um, so basically I, I went to, to at the time, uh, 14 station unit training, just basic training of it. And then, um, I went to airborne school in 2013 and then I was young. Uh, I had a, you know, a fiance at the time, well, a wife at the time and, uh, and one son. So I decided I, I didn't want to pursue the special forces world at that time. Um, I wanted to get some regular army experience. And so I, uh, I withdrew from that pipeline. And then um, a week later I headed, headed out to uh, North Carolina and I spent the next five years in the 82nd airborne division uh, out of Fort Bragg. So did you, you were in the airborne, actually talk about the special forces, what type of 
how does that even come about? I know the special forces is something that's pretty like has a high standards. Yeah, it's like an elite core. Yeah. So yeah, basically, um, there's two ways to to get into the SF world, like to get to selection. Uh, you either join with a 18x contract that kind of if as long as you meet all the requirements, puts you into the pipeline and, and lets you go to uh, the uh, special forces prep course and then. Um, Special Forces Assessment Selection, SFAS. Um, and then if you get selected, then from there you go through the qualification course or the Q course. And then you, uh, you, know, you, you finish up your, your pipeline, get your, your beret and your long tab. Um, the other way is uh, you can go through, go to selection if you meet the requirements um, throughout your career, uh, as long as you haven't been in too long or you are too high up in the, uh, in the rank structure. Um, so I actually, I decided in my career, uh, in 2019 that I wanted to go to selection and um, I did I went I went out of Hawaii and then uh, I got hurt day 19 um, and then I ran into some issues so it's a, it was selection is basically 21 days plus a few uh, admin days in there and uh, so day three of team week I uh, ended up losing feeling in my left arm and and uh, ended up in the hospital for about eight hours and, and that was all she wrote for that so, so um, <laughs> it's yes that's pretty wild. I mean, kind of break down. So you're saying there's the certain amount of days, like break down, like what, like, what is it? What does it start with? Like what's day one? What is a, what is like a normal week for you guys when it comes to training? Uh, you mean where I work now or like during, during selection, during selection for selection, uh, during selection. Uh, so you have to sign a, you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement at selection. <laughs> um, so, Ooh. uh, but basically, uh, I mean, you've got, you do a, everybody knows that that's gone. This is, this isn't like uncommon knowledge, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you have gate week, which is where you're going to do a couple long ruck marches, a couple, uh, and then a long, long run, short run, stuff like that. And then, uh, you have land navigation week, which is where you're, you're moving, um, underweight, exact weight, um, and you're covering, you know, several miles a day trying to find uh, land navigation points, essentially. And then your last week is team week, and that's where um, you get broken down into a team and they want to see how well you work, you carry a fuck ton of weight a long ways, and, uh, <laughs> and then you just – it sucks. It's, 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 really, it's really shitty. Team week's probably the worst thing I've ever uh, encountered in my life. So I fought really? for a long time, so that's saying a lot. Really? That's, that's insane. Yeah, team week was brutal, man. Like, my feet <laughs> – my feet hurt. My feet would wake me up uh, after selection. After I got I got dropped, in. Uh, my feet would wake me up in the middle of the night for about two months afterwards. I had to, I had to buy a new wedding ring because my hands were so swollen that my knuckles never went back to normal. Oh, like it, it, it absolutely destroys the body. So, are you are you uh, you don't get a lot of sleep? You know, one night during. Are you able to? Um, are you able to tell us like how, like how far you have having to go? Are you able to even talk about that? Any specifics or is that, that they kind of want you not to disclose that type of stuff? Uh, we'll put it this way in, um, in the 19 days that I was there, um, I covered roughly 220 miles of my guess. Whoa. What the fuck? So, I mean, that's what? about 200, 220. <laughs> that doesn't, I almost yeah. didn't yeah, register. It's, it's, a long, it's a long way. And then how much weight? Oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, so your, your rucksack's 45 pounds dry and then you add in, um, your MREs and then your water. So 
Um, I think the day when we were um, you're, you're looking at about between 65, about 65, if their stuff is, if they had more stuff in there, then they were carrying closer to 70. That's absurd. And like so then, oh, but during team week, you could have, have you could be carrying, what, what'd you say? Oh, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Sorry. There's just a little bit of delay there. Oh, so, oh, my bad. So during, during team week, you know, you're, you're, you're carrying the telephone. So you'll end up with uh, between your ruck and the telephone pole or whatever you might. Ruck, so um, when you're not carrying extra weight and you're just carrying your ruck, then uh, that's like a break. You, you, you eventually don't feel your rucksack on your back anymore. So um, I mean, it was fun. You know, it sucked while you're in it, but looking back, it, it was a good time. So I, I, I'd like to go back. Uh, my body's pretty beat up, but I, I just, I, I can't do it. I've had 10 neck procedures. Um, so my, uh, the days of me going out and doing that kind of stuff are kind of, are kind of behind me at this point, I think. So you mentioned to me, um, you were talking just a little bit about uh, sniper school and that you said you were one of the only few people that wasn't, that aren't in, um, there wasn't in the special forces, but you went through two sniper schools that would, uh, that people that would have been in special forces would have had. Uh, so I went through, yeah, I went through army sniper school in 2015, which is, you know, open to, uh, uh, any infantrymen in the army. And, um, I also went through the Marine Corps mountain scout sniper school, which, uh, I don't know of anybody in the army that's gone and passed in the last couple of years. That's in the regular army. Um, I went through in 2016 with six guys from Ranger Regiment, and, uh, and only one of them passed with me. Um, it, it was a it was a very humbling course. I think most of the guys from the Army that are getting to go to that course, if if any at all, are from uh, are from the Special Operations uh, side of the field. So um, I don't know how many guys are running around in that community with that course, but uh, I mean it was very uh, it's very very humbling course. It was, it was pretty badass to get to go to it and pass it. Like, when you say that, I don't even know what, like, so what is it? Like, what is a course? Like, explain what a course is. And I understand it's probably like a, probably like a map or a tactical zone, but kind of explain what that is. Uh, so a course is basically, I mean, it's, a, it's a school essentially, right? So like, if you, uh, if you were to go to, um, how do I want to explain this? Uh, if you were to go attend, like, like, you know how basketball, right? We had training camps. And then mm. let's say that training camp, like you would go to, like, I remember when I was younger, I went to the, the one that Gonzaga held. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, they held that, like, let's say you were to, you were to go to that, but you had to pass it. Right. That they had critical mm-hmm. events that you'd have to pass. And then once you pass that, that, that camp, right. People would fail. Whoever's left and met all the events, they'd pass it. Mm-hmm. And then they'd get like a, a certificate saying that like they are qualified to do this. Right. So like, I'm sure for coaches, like, you had to have been, you had to have played basketball, right? To be a coach. You can't just yeah. decide you're going to start coaching one day. So you've essentially like certified yourself by playing mm. basketball at a certain level in order to get to where you want to be and, and, and coach. Right. Yeah. So a course is essentially a, a course is essentially an army school, right? Where you fall or a military school where you fall into their jurisdiction for a little while. And you have to, uh, you have to meet certain events, right? So, so Marine Mountain Scout Sniper is an advanced high angle sniper course. So you're shooting from an elevated area 
like, so we were on top of uh, what they call Rocky Mountain, the Rocky Mountain, and then you're shooting down into a valley that's 1,500 feet below you. And so you're shooting, you're shooting targets that are surpassing your gun's capabilities, essentially. Um, so, yeah, once you pass that course, you have to meet the, the requirements. You have to shoot uh, at a certain level to pass. And if you don't pass, then you go home. And if you, you do pass, you finish the course, and then you graduate and you get a, you get a certificate. So. And you, this is a course you passed. Yeah, yep. I, uh, I went through. We had 20 guys start out, which was their max capacity for that course. Um, and then I think 13 of us passed out of the, the 20. I can't uh, even imagine what goes into, like, shooting – 1500 feet below you at a target it just doesn't make sense to me like that's even a thing like how do you even line it up and yeah just like, so all right shoot left like it doesn't make sense is it like i know you people do it in call of duty but that that's a, <laughs> call of duty yeah, we have a lot of call of duty like fans thing that people are getting <laughs> certificates for us like it's crazy so um there's a lot that goes into it right so we were shooting 30 inch targets, right? They're, they're painted white 30 inch targets, um, which is they're kind of a bitch to see when you have a, uh, you know, a tan and brown background in the, in the desert, essentially. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into play with it. You know, you have to look at all the winds that are coming from, um, from where you're at all the way out to where your target is. And then you have to take into account the distance to your target, take into account the, uh, the angle to your target and the cosine of it, essentially. And from there, you have to figure out what your, how much elevation you have to put on your gun uh, in order, to, the angle of departure, basically, that you have to cant the barrel at in order to, to drop the, the round on the target. And then, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of math that goes into it. So uh, I think the furthest we shot during the actual qualification was around 1,100 meters. So, uh, you know, 11 football fields. The furthest shot I took out there, um, just messing around, was at 1,725 meters. So, you know, probably around uh, close to 19 football fields. Okay, so, so we have two expert um, yeah, shooters. Was, was we, <laughs> we have two expert shooters here, so one in basketball that, but, and one in shooting. So how, so, how long, so how many times did it take you to hit that? Uh, so I, we had – it was a burn barrel that was turned over um, – yeah, at 1,725 sure. meters. And uh, I hit it two out of three times. But that was just messing around. That wasn't part of the qualification. So uh, I hit it two out of three times. Um, I, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that was the, the, about the max effective ability that that's, that scope could have put and, and that gun could have done. So I was shooting a, a 7.62 by 51 gun, so a, a 308 for those, the hunters out there. <sighs> So besides shooting, there has to be more that goes into just that course than obviously, or is there obviously scouting and other aspects of that? What else did you have to prepare? Obviously understanding terrain and everything, right? Yep. So that course is broken down into a couple of different phases. So you had your first phase, which is going to be like your mountain survival phase. And so um, we we'd do water crossings. Um, we would, we went out and rock climbed. We did our top rope climbing and our rappelling. Um, and then it taught us all the mountain survival classes with shelters and fire. And we were building, building fires with primitive methods. Um, and then you had to do uh, stock lanes. So uh, the sniper world is, is based on, a lot of it's based on field craft. So field craft covers, 
is basically your ability to remain undetected, use what you need to use to get where you need to get to take a shot. Um, so you put on a ghillie suit like you, you know you see in the movies or whatever. Um, you put all the, the put the face paint on and then you camouflage your ghillie suit with you know natural vegetation and then you uh, you know you walk and then you crawl and then you you low crawl you know to get to where you need to get. You set up your gun and then um, most courses you fire a blank round so it doesn't actually shoot, it just makes a sound. And then uh, you got to identify your target you took a shot at. And then uh, if you have a positive identification, then uh, you know um, you're good to go. But while you're doing all that movement, you have sniper instructors sitting on spotting scopes or binoculars looking for you. So anything that you do that can give you away, they'll see it and then they'll bust you. Um, and then once you take your shot on them, that's when they're going to uh, try to actually find you in that area that you're in. And so they'll, they'll kind of fine tune where they're looking and try to hone in on you. So as long as you can remain undetected the whole time, then you're, uh, you're good to go. That's, I mean, that's pretty crazy, man. No, that's, that's definitely dope. So have there ever, like, since you're going to these, these courses, have you ever heard any stories of like guys who were just like legends or just like any tall tales that guys might've, you know, done something crazy? I know there had to have been some one guy at each course that's just like, yeah, I did something super spectacular. Nobody's matched. Um, I mean, I haven't really heard anything too crazy. I know there's guys that'll, that'll get ballsy and they'll, you know, they've they've taken off like their ghillie suit and, and shot it, uh, taking their their shot during their stock lane in, uh, you know, a pair of ranger panties, which are, are real short silk shorts and uh, and a t-shirt, um, but. Other than that, I mean, most guys are like trying to yeah. pass, and so they're not they're not trying to do anything, yeah. anything crazy. Um, but but uh, that's most guys are you know trying to play it safe to to get through the school because they don't want to come back and they may not get yeah. another chance to come back. So, is there anybody who's like one of the greatest? If you had to say, if there was like a, a person that was like just really good though, not even really good. Like, I don't even know how to uh, state so this question. So there's a guy, the guy that, uh, I don't know if he still is, but he was the president of the Army Sniper Association. Um, he has, he's been to uh, pretty much any sniper course you can think of. I mean, he's, he's an older guy now, um, but he's the only guy with a confirmed kill in the demilitarized zone in, uh, in North Korea back in the day. And um, he's kind of a legend in the sniper community. Any, any of the boys from Vietnam, um, those guys are, those guys are, uh, you know, pretty legendary. Um, Carlos Hathcock, uh, Adbert Waldron, um, guys like that. They, they kind of, they kind of paved the way for the sniper community. Now, you know, being able to establish and do what they did with minimal equipment, shitty guns, and uh, <laughs> you know, a really austere environment. And they were able to, they were able to to make the you know the kills that they were able to make, uh, you know, during that time. So those are the kind of guys that. Um, really paved the way for i think the sniper community that's so dope i don't know why I'm, this is going to send me into a wormhole i'm going to start looking into all this and watch a week later i'm going to know so much about this <laughs> yeah yeah man do it new sponsor alert new sponsor alert shout out to the guys at the everydayfan.com your one-stop shop for all your sporting news, whether it's the NBA, NFL, or even the EPL League, they have you covered. But they don't stop there. 
From pop culture to wrestling and entertainment, there's something for everyone. With some of the best writers in the game, come get a fresh perspective from everyday fans like you. While you're there, check out check out the memorabilia shop and your man cave. Make your man cave one to envy. The everydayfan.com. Shout out to Everyday Fan, our newest sponsor. Love the guys from there. They're awesome. Woo-woo. Hit that noise. <laughs> uh, for sure. So you did... So you went through sniper school and all that, and then you went into the airborne. So that I'm guessing that has to do with jumping out of planes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I went to, I went to airborne school prior to, uh, sniper school. Um, I went in 2013, um, and then I went to an airborne unit. So yeah, airborne schools essentially, uh, teach you how to jump out of airplanes and you, you do five jumps at airborne school. And then that's, you go to your, your airborne unit and then, uh, you'll jump however often you jump over there and, uh, you'll jump into field problems where you got, you'll jump in to do like a, you know, like war games essentially. Um, and then you'll also do regular jumps just to stay current on your airborne proficiency. So yeah, it was, it's fun. I, I mean, I'm kind of over jumping out of planes now, but, uh, <laughs> I, um, I had a good time doing it. It just takes, takes a toll on the body. How does that feel that what there has to be a lot of impact when you land then I'm guessing because I've never jumped out of a plane, obviously, uh, but. So you got different types of jumps, right? You've got you've got uh, your free fall, which is going to be the guys that are that are jumping that are pulling their own shoots, you know, from uh, 10,000 feet or whatever they're jumping at. And then you have static line. Static line is what um, the you know Ranger Regiment, 82nd Airborne, uh, 173rd Airborne. Um, those guys, that's what we jump with. So you have a, you have a parachute on your back hooked up to a, a static line. Um, and then that's a, you have a, basically a cable coming off your back, right? And then it's got a hook on it and you'd hook it up to a, a cable line in the aircraft. And so when you exit the door and you jump out, that hook connected to the line pulls your, your parachute out. So it deploys it for you. So you free fall for six seconds with the current um, parachute. And then, yeah, it's a, it's not a fun landing, man. Um, like you, uh, the snap, when the parachute opens up, the snap, when the parachute opens up, uh, is pretty strong. And then, um, hitting the ground, uh, cause we do a lot of night jumps. And so that ground hits you well before you think it's going to hit you. Yeah. And if you got it, if you have combat equipment and you have a rucksack hanging, you got to lower your rucksack, lower your weapons case down, and then, um, they'll hit the ground and then you'll hit the ground. If you can't lower your equipment in time or you can't reach it, you're fucked. You're just going to land on your, on your ruck and your weapon and hope for the best. So, uh, it sucks. It's, so it's, I mean, it's yeah. So what, what, what do guys like our, is there guys like our size, me and Terrence at six foot five that do you, do you, is there a lot of guys you encounter that are in these type of courses in schools? Um, I, I actually, I have a guy uh, that I work with right now. He's a jungle instructor. He's, I think he's six foot four. Uh, he's a big boy. And uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, he jumps, you know, he's, he's jumped out airplanes and stuff like that. So um, you do, you encounter some guys that they're, they're far and few between. Uh, most guys are, you know, five, seven to, to six, one. Uh, but every now and then you'll, you'll find uh, a taller feller like yourselves. <laughs> so, uh, so take us. That might be tough, bro. It must be tough. Um, take us into where you're at now. Then you said you're in jungle school and you're an instructor there, and just kind of break us down with all that. 
So I, uh, I work at the, uh, the Army's only jungle school. It's, it's called Jungle Operations Training Course. Um, we don't teach like jungle warfare. We teach soldiers how to get through the jungle and uh, basically how to survive and fight and win in the jungle. Um, so we teach, we teach rope systems. We teach knots. You got to show up knowing a certain amount of knots. And we do a, a knots test, knots and harnesses test. And, uh, and we usually weed out probably about half the class. Um, we fail about half the class on the first, the, the first, uh, or the second morning, um, after the first day. And then, uh, we teach them some rope systems on day one and then day two, they'll retest the, uh, the knots class. They'll go and run our jungle 5k route, which we'll usually lose a few people on that. Um, it's just, it's a 3.1 mile run through the jungle. And then, uh, we'll take them to the pool after that. And then we'll, We'll do a few different uh, combat um, water survival like tests in the pool and then we'll bring them back and then we'll take them to the rappel tower, start sending them down rappels and take them into the jungle and start um, sending them through rope systems there. And then they do some land navigation. They do, uh, they, they do uh, man tracking, combat tracking. They don't have to do that. Um, they do a jungle penetrator, which is where you have a helicopter. Uh, it'll lower down on a hoist, a jungle penetrator will hook students up on that. And then we'll, they'll, the aircraft will hoist them back up. They'll hover between 50 and 90 feet. So they'll get like a, a free little ride on a, on a cable line up to a helicopter. And then uh, we do waterborne operations with uh, Zodiac boats. Um, and then we put them in this really crappy river um, and they got to, they got to swim through that and whatnot. Um, and then We'll drop them out. We teach them some survival classes and then we'll take them out of the jungle. We'll drop them out there, tell them to survive for uh, about 36 hours, uh, with no food or anything. And then the next day, uh, preparation. And then the day after that, they'll, they'll load onto an aircraft. They'll go do an air assault or air, air infiltration by a helicopter. And then they're basically walking through the jungle, hitting targets um, for the next three days. And then it'll all culminate into uh, the green mile, which is, basically a, a three mile round trip uh, event where they're running through the mud, they're carrying equipment, they're climbing ridiculous hills. Um, and that's kind of like their final Espirit Accord uh, culminating event. And then they'll clean all the equipment and they're, they're done. What's the, that sounds like hell. <laughs> what's the, what's like the graduation rate <laughs> on that? How many people are passing that? Um, so we switched from a 19 day course to a 12 day course last year. And when we did that, um, we made a requirement that you had to show up knowing knots and harnesses. So that's, that's a big failure. So up until the last class, we were sitting at a 38% pass rate for the course. Um, last class we sat at a, we graduated, I think like closer to 60%. And right now we're in a class right now. Um, I worked 24 hours yesterday to, to this morning. So I was off the rest of the day. Um, They'll graduate if they pass everybody on Saturday. Then we'll graduate uh, 56 out of the 95 that showed up on Monday. So you know, sitting right at a little bit over 50 percent. The the knots. What? How many knots are you talking? I mean, I know some knots. I don't know a lot, but how many how many <laughs> knots are you talking about? You know how to tie your shoe. That's about it. <laughs> if, you, if you can't if you can't tie a knot, tie a lot, right? Um, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah exactly it's it's nine knots um and three harnesses so they're taking we give them a 15 foot 11 millimeter rope 
and they have to tie like a square knot with overhand safeties, uh, bowline, um, two round turns in a clove hitch, and then they have to tie some repelling knots. So they'll tie their their clove hitch, uh, munter hitch, munter mule, uh, stuff like that. And then uh, end of the line, double figure eight, figure eight slip. Um, and then they'll jump into harnesses. They'll have to do an around the body bowline, uh, a military hip repel seat, and then um, an Aussie repel harness. So uh, they're, they're not crazy hard, but if you don't show up knowing them, you're fucked, you're going home. <laughs> do, do you just do you just do you just send them it's just like if they don't if they don't know it they're gone you're just like see you buddy or how does that work no so, so they get one chance to test on monday right and so um instructors will go through and we'll grade them right they'll get 30 seconds per knot and then there's one harness they get 45 seconds and one harness they get 90 and then um we'll, we'll basically grade them if they get a no-go on a knot, then they'll retest that knot or those knots that they failed the next morning. If I if I come through on on Tuesday morning, I look at your knot when you're when they say go and then they say stop. If your knot's not good within our standard, um, then that's it, man. Uh, your jungle operate your jungle uh, adventure's over. Oh shit, my jungle operation's over. Um, can't handle it. He can't handle it. Um, what was I going to say? So wouldn't they know to be ready for that? Like, or did they have no idea? I mean, it seems like they, they should have that information. Yeah. So it's all put out there. Like we, everybody knows anybody that comes to our course knows what they have to do. Right. So that it's on them to spend the time prior to showing up to know those, those knots and harnesses. Um, the problem people have though, is they show up and they haven't, it may be really great at tying them, but they haven't done it. You know, it's now in a stressful environment. People are, you know, they, they've, they've already done a bunch of stuff that day. Um, and now they're having to do it as a test. You know, people get test anxiety or whatever. Um, and then the, we see a lot of people fail the first knot right off the bat just because they're nervous, you know. Um, and then a lot of people don't practice the knots, timing themselves and making sure that their standards are good. Like, we have certain standards on the knots that you can and can't do. Um, and a lot of people just don't practice those and, and take that into consideration is, is my guess. It's true. Um, I know you talked to me about the, you're, uh, you're one of the main things is the tracking part of it. Can you explain to us how, what goes into that tracking people and being able to track their footprints and able to tell everything about that? Yeah, so we teach. Uh, there's two of us that that are the uh, primary instructors for the uh, the man tracking or combat tracking portion of the course. And so um, we we start off real basic, right? We teach. Uh, we get them gathered around a sandbox. Uh, we call it a spore pit. Um, and then we've got a, a a chalk a board behind us with chalk writing on it. And uh, we basically teach what ground sign awareness is. So we talk about um, the things to look for when you're tracking. Um, the things that'll give away uh, who you're tracking and what you're tracking. Um, we put that all down. And then we talk about how to read a footprint, how to tell whether they're walking, they're running, they're carrying weight. Um, if they're male, if they're female, uh, how tall they are roughly based on their shoe size. We, we look at their, yeah, we, we dive fairly in depth with it, but you know, it, it's only a one day block of instruction. So uh, we could take this, you know, we could take it, a lot more uh, if we got, if we had the time, but we don't. So, and then we teach them, we give them um, 
options and methods to be able to determine how many people they're tracking, right? Because if you're if you're out there in the jungle and you're and you're tracking people, you got to know if that's a gunfight you're willing to get in or not. If you have the numbers to to actually sustain that gunfight, right? If I if I don't know if I'm tracking 30 people and I think it's only three or four, you know, and I've only got nine guys, like I think I'm good. I show up, there's 30 dudes there. That's uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot worse uh, day than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> yeah. So, that sounds like some predator shit, man. I just think of Arnold Schwarzenegger just like hunting something through the goddamn woods <laughs> and just about to get into crazy gunfight. That's unreal that people have to like learn this shit. Well, it's not unreal, but I can't imagine the training and the focus it takes. So, huh. that is amazing. How, how do you tell if what, how do you tell the weight? I mean, I, under, I understand there's like imprints and how do you tell if it's female or male? Like, what if it's just a, a big lady? I mean, He's just a big lady. <laughs> what if it's a big lady? <laughs> um, so you can tell you can tell how much weight they're carrying um, based off where they're and if they're walking or running, based off of where they're placing pressure on the footprint, right? So if mm. if you have a strong foot roll on the side, you can start determining how much weight they're carrying. Um, you can tell if they're walking or running based off where they're placing pressure on the toe imprint or the heel imprint. Um, and then you can also start looking for, once you have those prints, you can start looking for other stuff that's above the ankle. You know, are they, are they bumping into to trees with a rucksack or a gun and ripping bark off? Um, you can tell if guys have been laying, if they've stopped and stayed there for a while, because, you know, in the military, you'll stop, you'll take yeah, a knee, and then you'll get down on, yeah, get down on the ground and in yeah. the prone and, and pull security. So now you're looking for elbow prints, you're looking for knee prints. You can tell if somebody's being lazy and they just sat down because you see a butt print with their, you know, their ruck flop imprint on the ground um that'd be me so yeah you can yeah be you <laughs> so you can me. tell you can tell a lot by you tell a lot by their uh the way that uh the the pressure's placed on the footprint what's deeper what's not as deep as well as um you can tell if they're walking or running based on their stride as well a lot it's a lot huh i mean i would it makes me think i'm like like i'm studying for a test like i need to know this for like next week's quiz yeah it's it'd be a lot to go through hey fellas we're in the thick of winter and the storms are brewing it looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush that's taking place in your pants luckily partners of manscape specialize in products to make sure that you're walking around town with a beautiful snowball Manscaped is here to provide you with one of the best tools for grooming experiences. Office offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is the best hygiene today for modern man. How's that thing yeah, been treating you, man? You. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. I had a teammate coming to me the other day say that he's he's using it on his fucking face, and I said that's nothing wrong with that, but just don't. I wouldn't use them on my balls and go <laughs> to and from. I mean, I'm I'm sure you could. I wouldn't be that guy, but you clean it off. That guys out here using it on their face, and I mean, he comes to practice with a clean shave on his face. So, I mean, it's good I mean, for it's it's good yeah. for anywhere. I mean, I, I you can use it on your chest. You can use it if uh, on your armpits. You can use it on your feet. You can use it wherever you want. I mean, it's awesome because you, you use it in on the your feet. You have a problem. <laughs> you got something. Manscaped guys. can fix that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Manscaped can fix those hairy ass feet that you got for sure. <laughs> and nothing better than that light. I actually had another homie who actually tried it for the first time this week and 
first thing he said to me was, God, that light is amazing. You can see no, every that, little I mean, follicle. You can see every little follicle in there. I don't, I don't know why people haven't been, you know, putting lights on these things. Yes. The jump. Why, why doesn't everything sense. have a light? Like every, even, like you said, normal face one. Like I want to be able to you see everything, to make man. Make it make sense. And Manscaped, Manscaped does. does. So go ahead and get 20% off free shipping with the code TRP31 at manscaped.com. And that is code TRP31 at manscaped.com. Thanks, Manscaped, for making our winter wieners look so good. What would you say yourself personally would be the hardest part of it? Like for you, and you've obviously, you see it every day, but besides the knots. For, for jungle school? Yeah. Uh, for jungle school, um, the hardest part is, is probably the knots for one. And then for two, we have a lot of people that can't swim. Uh, they show up <laughs> not being able to swim. Uh, really? so that, that, that's, that's a tough one, but I see, a lo- I see a lot of, a lot of people mentally quit on the jungle 5k run. It's only three miles. It sucks really bad. It's, it's a really shitty route, but, um, it's, you just got to push through and, and get it done. So a lot of, a lot of guys end up, um, they end up giving up on themselves. I usually run as the pace man during that. So I'll, I'll go out there and I'll run it at between a 39 and a 41 every time, um, to be the, you know, to show them what that pace they need to be at looks like. And so I, I ran it uh, Tuesday. I did it in 39.40. So I've gotten it to where I can run it at the same time every time. Um, I just see people quit on themselves, man. I just see people, uh, they just, you can tell as soon as they, there's a hill, we call it Big Ivan, and it's, it's, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> um, we, get, we, end up with a, we end up with a lot of, a lot of dudes going to the hospital uh, in the summer months. They hit that hill and they get to the top of it. They'll collapse and they'll be, you know, 104, 105, 106, uh, body core body temperature. Um, just because you go from running, you hit this hill and now you're walking and everything catches up to you that you just, you know, all that heat and everything. So, um, I think the run's probably one of the, the crappier portions, but the course, it sucks, man. You're wet, you're wet and dirty. You can't, we don't, you can't do laundry at the course. You eat MREs for 12 days. You don't get any, any hot food. Um, and so if it's going to rain and you're sleeping outside, if it's you're sleeping outside, it's gonna rain. Um, so you're you're gonna be wet. All your shit's gonna be soaked. You know, we'll throw your ruck in the water to see how well you waterproofed it. Hopefully, it doesn't sink. Um, you know, so, so you're it's just, just going. T- it's miserable. For you know, days. it's kind of miserable. It's pretty much camping and survival is for. Uh, no, you sleep. That's not what it is. No. You sleep in the barracks for. Oh, you sleep okay. in the barracks. Well, you sleep in the barracks for a few days, oh, no. but then we put you out in the jungle where you, you'll you'll sleep. Yeah. So. Um, they'll sleep in the barracks for like five or six of days and then the rest of the time they're in the jungle. Oof. Yeah. That's You're absurd. You're a machine, by the way. He's a machine, <laughs> by the way. He oh, yeah. Says, I can do this every... What? That's a machine-like, man. So is there a certain time on that that they have to do or is it just finishing it? Or could you just be slow shit? On the run? Yeah. 40 minutes. If, if, if you're not in at 40 minutes, you're going home. See ya, and they're dead tired, feeling shitty too. Man, so you you see people just crack, just mentally, just mentally fucked. I I, you probably see it every day, or every time. I mean, every time someone leaves. Yeah, yeah, and then the other thing too is like we'll take them out, so we'll do their field problem. It's only three days, but they'll they walk the the you know really shitty terrain for three days straight. They're wet. We walk it with them. You know, I'll take. I'll take the, my squad and, and we'll get in the water and we'll swim 600 meters with their rucks and stuff. Um, so they're just wet and dirty and miserable all day. And then they go 
back to sleep at night in, the, in their hammocks or whatever on the ground. And then they wake up in the next morning and do it. So that's, that's, that's when I enjoy it because people, um, a lot of people <laughs> show up to this course that haven't gone through, uh, you know, shitty environment or shitty conditions before. And so it's a, it's kind of a gut check and, and a real eye opener for some of them to see what stepping out of their comfort zone looks like. It's pretty crazy. All right. Last thing. Um, you kind of mentioned it to me briefly when we were talking on the phone. Uh, when you were deployed, you were talking, I think it was about Saddam Hussein that you were deployed in Iraq, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, so I went to Baghdad and then uh, I, I worked on top of uh, Saddam's old headquarters um, for basically the nine months I was there uh, in, uh, in my sniper position up there. Um, and uh, so I, I, we got to see we had a guy doing a reenlistment ceremony and, and um, they took us over to the the courtroom and stuff where Saddam was, was tried and everything. So I saw the, the chair that uh, Saddam sat in at, at the famous pictures and I uh, saw the, the jail cell that the, that the agency had him in. And um, I saw all the artifacts that were on Saddam when he got captured. And so it was pretty cool. I saw his torture devices that he, that they had recovered from, from the building I worked in, uh, worked on. And then, um, they had, they had a rope they said that was the rope that, that hung Saddam. So, you know, I got to touch that thing. So um, whether that's the actual one that hung it or not, they got on display there. So um, it was, it was cool, man. It was, uh, it, it was cool getting to see all that stuff. What type of, what type of torture devices was there? I got to know. Yeah. The main one um, was this, was this iron suit basically. Right. So it gets, hot as fuck in Iraq. And oh. so that building that I worked on was all concrete on top. And so he had this iron suit that basically, basically sets you up like a scarecrow, right? With your arms out, your legs spread and everything. And it's just iron bars, but it's, it's completely open but with iron bars. And then he would put people on there, according to the Iraqis that were, that were showing this to us, he would put somebody in there and then he would leave them on the roof and, uh, and they would just sit there in the 130 degree heat and just get absolutely Sorry. destroyed up there. Yep. Yep. So, um, he had, uh, isolation chambers in the basement down in the basement of that building. We saw those things there, uh, they looked like vault, vaulted rooms. They're pretty crazy. So he, he store people in there and stuff. Man, it's absurd. Really absurd. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. What, crazy what kind of stuff he was doing. Yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate this. this is awesome, man. There's a lot of details, Thanks a lot of so stuff. Much, I definitely did not know. And, I mean, a lot. I yeah. guarantee a lot of our listeners will have no idea about, it and they'll be intrigued by it for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, right on, man. Right on. I appreciate you guys having me. You know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's cool getting to talk to you guys, and uh, especially you, Stephen. Not not talking to you. It's been like what ten years and stuff. It's been a while. So, um, it's been a while. Terrence, I appreciate you having me on, brother. Thank you for coming, brother. I appreciate it, man. Oh, Bo body dish.